Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, okay, I'm excited to bring you this episode with Robert Hoder. He's an environment artist over at id Software, and he's also worked at Crytek. And in this conversation, we really start to unpack his career, what he's done, how he's got here, and what's his advice for those people that are just starting out. This is also another conversation that was actually recorded live, so there's some screen share to it. So if you want to see the screen share, make sure you head over to GameArtInstitute.com. And you go into the blog section and you'll find the episode for Robert Hodry. There you can kind of see us kind of walk through his work and talk about it. Now, just a quick reminder that if you are interested in the boot camp, you've probably missed our August deadline. So make sure that you get in, have the conversation so you can get into our next boot camp session to really learn what it takes to be a game artist. The thing that's really important to me is that in our boot camp, we're focused on one thing, and that's what it takes to get a job. What are the triggers? What are the industry skills? What are the essential things that you need to demonstrate in your portfolio, right? Because this is, this is an industry where, you know, you can't tell that you know it. You got to show that you know it. And that's what we focus on in the boot camp is exactly what you need to show in your portfolio to make sure that you become a candidate for that job. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I know you will too, so let's hop into it. All right. Hey, guys, Ryan here. Give me a quick shout-out. Let me know if you can hear me and you can see the screen. Awesome. Hey, George. Hey, Andrew. Great. All right, guys. I am uh, excited today. We have Robert Hodry. Did I say the last name correctly, Hodry? Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And uh, so he is an environment artist over at id Software. I saw his work and I knew you guys needed to meet him and we needed to have this conversation and talk about his work and about what he does. Um, so if you've got questions, uh, push them through <laughs> as you need in the chat, wherever that's available, or uh, wait for the Q&A if you're, the one, if you're watching this live. And uh, Robert, thanks so much for joining. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, so why don't we start and tell me, uh, tell us what you do now. Uh, I'm currently uh, still an environment artist at mm-hmm. Software, so we call, they called them uh, world builders, so, but we are doing a lot of different things, so we don't have a dedicated prop team or texture artist, so the whole art team is basically uh, one big group of environment artists, and we do a lot of different things from props, textures, and weapons. And yeah, everything that gets into the game, I guess. And <clears throat> you don't have that very often, especially in uh, AAA games. Yeah. You have very dedicated people, groups, and uh, like uh, at Crytek, for example, we had a group of uh, vegetation artists and um, more of hard surface artists. I'm not saying that, of course, some people are better at sculpting, some are better at uh, hard surface. Everybody has, has strengths and uh, so that's why, uh, yeah, we're very flexible. So if you're good at hard surface, for example, I'm better at uh, hard surface stuff than sculpting. So I can recently was working on a weapon, but I'm also doing a lot of 
layouts, world building, and yeah, whatever you're uh, comfortable with. And you just can ask for, hey, can I work on this and that? And uh, that's a good thing about having a small team. We are not really that big. I think right now, environment artists, how many are we? 20, 25? Mm. And uh, yeah, that's <laughs> pretty small for uh, working on a AAA game. And uh, we don't really outsource at all. Uh, actually, we don't outsource at all, yeah. Really? No <laughs> outsourcing all. at all? No, not really. No. We have uh, two uh, character artists, mm -hmm. outsourcing contractors. Yeah. But that's it. I mean, uh, all props, everything is done in-house. We have uh, machine games helping out with concepts a little bit right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, <clears throat> we are, uh, yeah, because we are within the Zenimax family, so we are helping out with our projects. Like we were also helping out for Wolfenstein uh, 2 for uh, how long was it? Half a year or so? And uh, yeah, so basically uh, the programmers, our team, and I think Arcane Austin also helped out a little bit. When uh, yeah, whenever they need to ship a game, <laughs> you have your deadline, your date when the game needs to ship, and when you see oh okay, or we're a little bit behind, so that's when uh, some other studios can help out, which is actually really great. So you always have the opportunity to work on a different, a lot of different projects. So uh, it was what, kind of nice. Huh? Why, don't, why don't we head over to your portfolio so everybody can see your work? Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> Okay, and uh, yeah. how do you train for a position like that? Because that, so you're telling me that inside environment arts uh, and inside that art department, you, there's not like somebody who specializes in guns. Um, there's not somebody who specializes in hard surface, even though their skills might be there. So how do you train for that? Um, <clears throat> well, maybe uh, I was a little bit wrong about it. I mean, we have uh, one dedicated weapon artist right now. Okay, one, yep. Uh, and we used to have a prop team. They were doing all the props from hard surface, organic stuff. Mm -hmm. But now we kind of switched or changed our, our workflow and uh, everybody's doing everything right now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, how do you train for that? I mean, uh, first off, you need to know what you enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if you don't like uh, hard surface or weapons and all this, just don't focus on it. <laughs> That's the only advice I can give. I mean, <laughs> it sounds fair, stupid. But... Fair enough. But you know, the thing with um, with people who are in the beginning stages is they're making a sacrifice. You know, they're like, I maybe don't like this, but this is something that's going to be good for a job. So I'm going to try to put energy there. You know, th there's that oh, transactional yeah. quality <laughs> when we're just starting out. And, you know, maybe they don't know what they like. So yeah, yeah. How, how do they, you know, how do they start to discover what, you know, and maybe the, how did you start to discover what you like? Uh, for me, it was a little bit different because it was uh, such a long time ago when I started. Mm -hmm. I mean, back then, uh, how long was it already? 15 years. Uh, it was different because you had kind of companies release their SDK. You could mess around with editors. And uh, I started basically in the modding community for mm. Quake 3. I was releasing uh, levels like uh, here you can see some of the really old levels. Like this was one of my first levels I released for the modding community in Quake 3. And it was fun. So I basically started making multiplayer levels for this game. And uh, yeah, so I 
I've got a couple of them. <clears throat> and I just published them online, released them. I wasn't really thinking about having a career in uh, and as an environment artist or so. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know, enjoyed making those levels. Not many people played them because they weren't that good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, after a couple of levels, I don't know, uh, after multiple levels, I switched over to uh, some single player mods I released for Prey. Yeah. This one took quite a while to finish those. Like, I think in general for a multiplayer level, it took me between two and four weeks. And uh, for single player levels, it was like half a year or so almost. And uh, yeah, after I released stuff and people liked it and then uh, some other professional artists or designers approached me and <clears throat> asked me if I would be interested in working for their yeah. company. And that kind of got me thinking, okay, maybe I could have this as a career. So, <laughs> uh, But I was still studying, so I first wanted to finish it and then kind of think about what to do. But at some point I was like, okay, I can try it out and have this as a career. Yeah, but that was that was back in the day when, you know, like just knowing software was a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. It and, was really different. Yeah. So, I mean, this might be a good segue actually to Todd's question and Todd, I think I'll I'll um I'm going to ask this in a simple way now and then we'll spend some time later seeing if we can unpack it. But um now the question is uh well, first let's let's ask this because this is one of the things that we've heard a lot from people and that's that if you're going to be an environment artist, you got to kind of be a 3D generalist to some extent. Do you agree with that or disagree? Uh, yeah, I kind of agree. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, it's getting tougher, I would say, every day to <laughs> be an environment artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that hard to get a job. If your portfolio and work is good, it's really not that hard. Yeah. The tough part is just to have a good portfolio. <laughs> right, so, yeah. That's yeah. like uh, one of my teachers used to say, you know, rocket science is not that hard, you know? And, and yeah. Like, yeah, if you're a rocket scientist, but, yeah. you know, it's a little hard for some of us to get there. So, but, you know, uh, so now that begs the question, like, from your perspective, what do you look for in portfolios? And, <clears throat> you know, what are some of the things that kind of trigger you to say, hey, this person's on the right path, or, hey, this person is on the wrong path, and they got a long ways to go? Uh, well, actually, I have a little article if somebody's Sweet. interested in so I answer a lot of questions here. So just type in, um, I don't know, yeah, this title or so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm going through, okay, like questions, how to become an environment artist and all this. But I can <clears throat> briefly uh, answer some of the questions. So um, yeah, what do you need in your portfolio? It's uh, for an environment artist, I would say, of course, props <laughs> and uh, being familiar with all the tools, mm -hmm. like at least uh, 3D package, Maya, 3D Studio Max, or Modo, it doesn't really matter what you prefer. And then, of course, texturing of Substance Painter Designer is the way to go these days. Uh, Photoshop, still valuable, so you still need to know uh, the tool. And uh, it would be also nice to know at least a sculpting package like ZBrush um, or uh, 3D Code. Right. Or what else is there? <clears throat> and uh, uh, looking at some portfolios, I mean, a lot of people, they uh, have mainly props, which is fine. So 
you can take a concept from somebody else and do it or make a prop out of it or uh, just do something generic. Doesn't really matter, table, chair, so at least uh, be familiar with PBR and all the latest, like Unreal Engine is really good to present your work or <laughs> environments take a lot of time, but I've seen so many portfolios and people becoming environment artists without a single environment mm. in their portfolio, which, so, I mean, when you start your, as an intern, junior, whatsoever, you're not tasked to do a big environments. So right. you normally start the first year you're doing props or optimization work and not really have the responsibility to take one white box area and finish it till the end. So uh, just be familiar with the whole workflow, making high polys, baking them down to a low poly and texture them and uh, be familiar with making tileable textures and um, yeah. And uh, it's also important, I would say, to have a good uh, presentation. So have a nice rendering setup, lighting or whatever. Uh, for your high polys, for your final meshes with textures, and uh, just uh, yeah, leave a good impression on your portfolio. It's like presentation is worth a lot, and sometimes you have—I mean, it's not everything. Sometimes you have some people with—they are not really good at presenting this stuff, but you can tell. Okay, their low polys are really good. Their high polys and everything is clean, so it's more forgiving when they don't present it in the nicest way. Some people just make uh, screenshots of the viewport in, I don't know, ZBrush or Max. That's totally fine. Mm -hmm. As long as you can see the work is good. But of course, it's always nicer to have a good presentation. Is there is there anything that like bugs you or that's a trigger? If you see it, then you know, it's telling you something's like it, they're just it's not a fit or they're a bit on the amateur uh, level. Cause I'm sure you, you know, you see a lot of work, so you probably have, you have to have like these shortcuts. You can't look at everything in depth. There's gotta be some things that just start to say, okay, no, okay, no. <clears throat> yeah, there's uh, actually, it doesn't take long to see if somebody's good or not, especially for art. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have a quick look and to know if the portfolio is good. And uh, yeah, like if somebody is, sloppy at the modeling, you see a lot of smoothing group arrows and um, just some weird stuff. And then it's always hard to say, okay, that's immediately, it's like, mm, okay, he's not really that great. And he's mm -hmm. maybe doesn't know better or so, but. Um, or, yeah, see, uh, see, like for example, in character, cause that's something that um, is big in for me. Um, it, I'll look at people's elbows and their hands, and then I know, you know, like they just haven't taken anatomy all the way, and they're still in the amateur level. Is there something like that with um, with environments? You know, the smoothing group makes a lot of sense if there's if there's little errors around there and the normals and you know artifacting. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, for environments, it's uh, there's so many things to consider like, okay, the modeling, the composition, layout, and uh, you also have to make props for it and texture them, and lighting is also a big thing. Uh, for beginners, I'm uh, more forgiving when I see, okay, the lighting is not 
that great or so because mm -hmm. normally you have lighting artists that take care of that and the composition of course you have concept artists art directors that give you overpaints and say hey you or have a lead and other senior guys telling you yeah that that doesn't work so great so just change this and that so i would say it's just know your fundamentals like uh, modeling and texturing and be uh, clean with your work don't be too sloppy and uh yeah that's i don't know awesome that makes sense i'm, I'm not sure if it's <laughs> answering your question but yeah sometimes you just look at some uh, asset and you know it's good or it's bad and yeah or high polys like yeah well what was um todd's asking what was your first gig out of um uh, in the game industry <clears throat> losing my voice here <clears throat> uh i started with uh, where's my so uh, here's my yeah i started i think in uh, 2009 i got mm -hmm. an internship at crytek in frankfurt and uh, i was fortunate enough to my first game i worked on was basically a triple a game really popular crisis 2 franchise was really big back then and yeah it was tough at the beginning <laughs> so many things i had to learn but mm -hmm. it was also pretty rewarding to see it's released and uh, posters on the streets and marketing and all this so yeah. kind of started on this it was a really big game and yeah i uh, spent like i think five years at the company worked on another crisis game crisis free and uh, yeah, then another rise out of Rome was completely different uh, setting, kind of a Roman game, a third person game, action adventure. And but we also had a studio, actually, they had a lot of different studios. So we I also was lucky enough to help a little bit on Homefront. And uh, yeah, Warface was another big free-to-play multiplayer shooter mm -hmm. so i had i worked on uh, mostly of course first person shooters but they were so different from each other so that's why i was kind of lucky to always have some great games to work on which were different and from multiplayer single player campaigns and all this and uh, you learn a lot i mean working on a multiplayer game is so different from single player games like or, for example, Rise Son of Rome was really cinematic-driven. That was also a good experience to know, okay, you always have to be careful not to interfere with cinematics and all this. Keep that in mind. And, mm -hmm. and uh, of course, the single-player games or multiplayer games, it's just making sure they are fun. Visuals are coming later then or are also important, but it's always to keep in mind if it's fun. And, uh, oh, what is this? Oh, there's a request for a review. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. <laughs> see, now that, by the way, guys, just so everybody, so if you're listening to this, you didn't see what happened, but Edison posted his link in there, and he got his link uh, clicked. So. <laughs> okay, just <laughs> adding it. We'll do that, Edison. Don't worry. I'd love to I'd love to do that. So let's take a look at your work real quick, um, Robert, if you yeah. And uh, And you just recently joined ID, right? About three years ago? Two. Uh, yeah. Three, half, four years almost. So, uh, yeah, I started basically when they were uh, done with their vertical slides and uh, when they were in the middle of production for Doom. Yeah. So, uh, 
took a while to get my work visa. So, uh, but then, yeah, I worked pretty much a whole full production on Doom. Uh, where can I show some stuff? So, uh, some environments. Uh, yeah, I was mainly doing world building, like, I don't know, corridors, environments, mostly layouts, buildings, um, also set dressing, uh, beautification, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. <laughs> decaling a little bit at the end. And world building in a hard surface environment is it's the hallways. It's it has it's not. Is it modeling the actual modular pieces, or is it more assembly, or is it everything? Uh, it's pretty much everything. So we get a block out from level designers, and then a concept, and uh, maybe I can show real quickly. But yeah, normally we get a concept for everything because we're doing a lot of sci-fi and stylized stuff. So. Mm -hmm. uh, for this building, I got a block out and then overpaint, and then I started detailing it, and uh, it's basically how we work. So, um, so, so you start with the concept, and the concept came with a 3D block out, right? Uh, depends. I mean, uh, most concept artists these days, they also do a quick block out in mm -hmm. uh, Maya or SketchUp or whatever yeah. they use, and that's really helpful for us as a world builder. So you can use the blog out. The proportions are always there. You don't have to figure out too many things. Yeah, and then from that, we start uh, normally just, yeah, adding more details, texturing a quick uh, texture pass, not really caring too much about UVs or anything, uh, just getting the idea in. And then later on when, I mean, it's also good for lighting artists when they have some materials to work with, and that's why, okay, just quickly add some textures there. But later on, when everything gets into the polishing phase, you're doing your UVs and everything correct and uh, making sure everything is nice. And yeah, but after we're doing our first art pass, normally you get another overpaint and with more detailing passes and all mm -hmm. this, and then polish and it's kind of a yeah from level design to concept art to world builders and then back to design again if they're happy with what we're doing so if their block out still works and combat and everything and yeah so that's so is it fair to say that there's definitely some overlap between the world building and the concept so they start they get you the basic you start world build you start building and putting your details in at the same time that they're painting and putting theirs in or do you have uh, to wait to be to get stuff from them well normally uh yeah the level designers block something out it they sometimes they don't even know like for multiplayer Oh, well, actually, multiplayer was a bit different, but single player, they just do some uh, block outs that work well, are fun, and then concept artists go over and do overpaints, mm -hmm. what it could be, and then we as a world builder, um, our art stuff, and even quick lighting passes, and then we get uh, another overpaint, and, but we, we always try to stick to the block outs, that's the, main important thing I would say is like don't change the blocker too much always talk to your level designer if it's okay to make those art changes it will change a little bit the block out most of the time they are okay with it but yeah so just make sure 
you're not going crazy and adding too much stuff in the player path and all this. Are you doing lighting at this stage too? Normally, uh, yeah, it's you can do it if you want to do it, I would say. It helps a lot, so just throw in quick lights and um, like here in this example, I was doing uh, like placing some lights where I would love to have them like here. And then later on, the lighting artists, they just look at it and you can talk to them. Hey, it would be cool to have maybe lights here, there, or have this color theme. Uh, I mean, most of the time they have a lighting chart for every level. So they know already, okay, this level needs to have this kind of mood, like more cold, industrial, or warm, and whatever. For me, it also helps to work with when I know, okay, I'm placing lights here so I can add more details in that area. Mm -hmm. Think, yeah, as a world builder, you kind of, or environment artist, you kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah. And yeah, like that's kind of exciting. You think about gameplay, lighting, and uh, where all your particles and textures and where to put all your details. It's always important to not spend too much time or energy on details that the player would probably never see or just run by. Mm -hmm. So you always want to make sure, okay, people will actually see it. Hmm. So much is involved in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why it takes so long. I mean, <laughs> for uh, some environments, I mean, that's kind of a little bit of a frustrating thing. You, I don't know, it's easier when you're just making a prop. You know, okay, I spend a, maybe a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and then it's done. Mm -hmm. And you finish the texturing, everything. You can present it in a nice way. Mm -hmm. But with environments, it's like from the beginning of production till the very, it's, you can only like, I don't know, you see it's, like it can take a couple of months before you have lighting pass and looks nicer. You always work in um, rough blockouts, proxy mm -hmm. meshes, everything is not really nice and detailed. And uh, for an artist, you always want to, I don't know, go ahead and uh, already do a detail pass and everything, but you always have to wait a little bit and okay, make sure blockout works and maybe even later on there will be design changes and that's why it's, you start with proxy meshes, uh, blockouts, and then uh, after it's getting reviewed and everybody's fine with it, then you start adding a little bit more details, but it's still not that nice looking or mostly gray boxes. Textures are not really uh, that maybe finish or so, but mm -hmm. uh, can it's really time consuming. And <laughs> yeah, how do you deal with the overwhelm? Because I'm sure it gets overwhelming at times, right? Just so much and it never ends. Yeah, uh, sometimes it can be really overwhelming. I mean, you get a blog out, you don't know what to do, it's all kind of crazy. <laughs> And you get an area to work on, and uh, it's all like with multiplayer, for example. You have a block out, and yeah, and, okay, you get a concept, and you know where it's going. Yeah. But still, then you think about, okay, um, how do I work on this in a most efficient way? So because uh, you don't want to spend too much time on unique meshes, so you always have to think, okay, how can I break this up uh, with modulars? Uh, kit pieces and how can I be more efficient 
because I know, for example, Rage is a good example with the mega texture. Everything was kind of unique, and that's why it was so time consuming to finish the game. And, uh, but yeah, sometimes, I mean, that's what most companies are doing. They have modular pieces, kit sets, and uh, of course, they also have unique uh, meshes, areas, especially for multiplayer. You can't really have. It's more flexible, actually it's easier to sometimes make it more unique because the areas are so small and uh, uh, like this area here, it's, it's a little, not really modular. Everything is kind of unique because the layout was so crazy and <laughs> always different. So it was kind of hard to make uh, modules out of that. And uh, especially when it's the areas are smaller, like open world games or so, or bigger game uh, areas, it's easier to just place your modules. Hmm, that's actually an interesting point. So you're saying in, in some cases, you know, modularity just doesn't work? Uh, it really depends. Like here's a good example with modularity and unique meshes. So mm -hmm. like all those pillars, all those elements, art rays, they are all modular pieces. Yeah. And it was really fast, like those pillars here, the floors, everything you can see it's modular and it's really fast to place everything yeah but uh, or here everything kind of modular also depends on the style i would say sometimes mm -hmm. like as i said this example here the whole terrain is kind of unique mesh because yeah it was just <laughs> because the layout was kind of a little bit yeah, it really depends on, I mean... Uh, Do you have an example where you, ever, there was more unique meshes than modules? Uh, yep. Yeah. I mean, for Doom 2016, we uh, kind of, all those corridors, areas, they were really unique. Oh, okay. Sometimes a little bit time-consuming. Uh -huh. So, like, here in this, you can tell, okay, it's not really built up in a modular way. Right. And uh, where else? Well, you spend a lot of a lot of time in the hallways in Doom, you know, and especially with the lighting and the all of that. So, yeah, I mean, we could have probably built it a little bit smarter with more modules, kits, and all this. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, I think it kind of got a every corridor had a little bit of a unique look, maybe a little, yeah. So, is there a, I, a penalty for that? Uh, well, it takes a little bit longer, I would say. <laughs> longer so, to produce, uh, but does it, so that like it's more of an investment for the for the studio in terms of the artist time, right? Yeah, um, I'm not against modularity. Uh, it's really it's, can save a lot of time, but of course you can then always tell. Okay, some corridors they, I mean, corridors are not that important in games anyway. They are, mm -hmm. most of the time they are just generic corridors, so. Yeah. And have them in a modular way, but you always also have uh, like big vistas or epic moments, and they kind of tend to be more unique. So that's why, like, here also another corridor, pretty modular. And yeah, for corridors, I would say it makes sense to make them more modular. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool to hear, though, because we hear a lot about modularity. But would you say, if you're looking at somebody's portfolio, would you say it's important for them to showcase the fact that they do modularity, or would it be important for them to showcase a really cool environment? 
Um, well, I mean, when you're reviewing portfolios for candidates you want to hire, it's always kind of a plus, I would say, if they work in a smart way. So mm -hmm. if they have an environment and you can see, okay, they had uh, their modules, they build it in a very smart way, they don't make the mistake of having everything unique. It's always a plus, I would say. So they okay. think about before they start working, which is always good. Um, but there's nothing wrong about it. I mean, as long as it looks good, we, I mean, you can learn all those things or be more efficient and smart about it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more important to have nice art and how you do it. Not the most important thing in the world, I would say. Just, yeah. Okay, that's good to hear. You know, and I, I this is a point that I always try to get from people, whether or not um, the important thing is how you got there or, you know, or where you get, you know. So it's, the thing that I like to think of or like to tell people is it's kind of like a first date. You know, your your first job is to really impress. And then they get to know you. Did you, you, did you do that well? Did you do that efficiently? But the first the first moment has some flash to it, I think. Wear nice clothes. Uh, you mean for the interview? Wear no, nice clothes? no. I, but by nice clothes, I mean like you know, focus on your your portfolio being a great portfolio, not, hey, I know I did all the topology, I did all the everything's you know modular, everything's as efficient as possible, frame rates at 120 frames a second in Unreal. Oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. Uh... Of course, it's nice if they have it optimized and uh, you can see, oh, it will probably run really smooth and uh, build up in a smart way. But uh, I don't think it's that important. I mean, for your portfolio, you always end up adding more triangles, having a bigger texture resolution, all this. Yeah. So just make it look good in your portfolio. <laughs> and that's why, I don't know, you don't have to be super efficient with everything. Just presented in a nice way, especially as a beginner. I mean, you learn so much at your first job and you always end up making mistakes. I mean, I still end up making a lot of mistakes when I <laughs> do some stuff. So you always kind of learn and grow, but especially for beginners when they fresh out of school and look for a first job, I wouldn't expect them to be on a production levels. Like, okay, you made mistakes that's fine as long as you know how to make good art, have a uh, good eye for, uh, I don't know, aesthetics, composition, colors, whatever. That's really important for environment artists. And yeah, like, uh, I don't know, some, I've seen also art tests, people doing uh, high polish for everything, baking down everything unique, and that's fine. I mean, as long as it looks good in the end, just, course when you see it you think oh that's not really efficient but well you can teach them how to be more efficient so it's not like when you have your first first job nobody talks to you you have to work all on your own you will normally you have a experienced senior guys looking over your work and always telling you or giving you tips and giving you feedback and helping you so yeah it's it's normal to make mistakes even especially at the beginning so Great. All right. Um, so, Robert, thank you so much for coming in here, for sharing your thoughts and your perspective on people's work and for talking to us about yours. Yeah, no problem. It was really, really awesome to hear.
and uh, and love. I love looking at your art station. It's just like an environment <laughs> artist's dream. There's so many cool things. Uh, thanks. All right. Well, say hi to Jason for me, and uh, have a great uh, have a great uh, rest of your day. Uh, yeah. Thanks uh, for having me. And if anybody has any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me on whatever art station or uh, yeah. Yep. Over That's there at Art Station, everything's in his, uh, I think it's all on your About page, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, contact information or so. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, great. Robert, thanks so much. Okay, thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, everybody, for joining. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.